Our Bible reading this morning comes from John chapter 20. It's the first 18 verses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thanks, Roger. Keep those passages open. Uh, We're going to be working through that. Let's pray together. Our Lord and King, we pray that you might speak to us this morning. We pray that you might be working in our hearts and in our minds. We pray that you might be uh, helping us to be present here and now and not caught up with the distractions of the the things to come in the day or the anxieties to follow or the, the tasks to be done. But we pray that you might help us to be still well. We pray that we might, like Peter and John, think well and hard and assess And we pray like Mary that we might have our tears turn to joy and our hearts filled with hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, confusing things uh, I find when I read uh, the biographies of Jesus, that's the the first four Gospels, uh, is that um, Jesus all throughout it is kind of saying the time is coming. 
when I'm going to be betrayed, crucified, and three days later, I will rise from the dead. And one of the confusing things for me is that here we are kind of three days later and none of the disciples are there waiting for him. Uh, you think um, there are some things that you would remember. Um, uh, I notoriously will have a conversation with my wife only to not remember that conversation 20 minutes later. No, longer than that, right? But there are some things you think you would remember, and this is one of them, and yet the disciples aren't standing at the tomb kind of with a sign saying, Welcome back, Jesus. They're not expecting it. In fact, even when kind of the tomb is empty and the body is missing, that's not their conclusion. Their conclusion is they've stolen the body. So Mary came running to Simon Peter, verse 2, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken, that's probably the Romans, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Notice her conclusion is not that he's risen. Yes, just like he said. Remember what he said. It is they have taken him. And we live in a time and place where uh, I think many Australians uh, are okay with the idea that Jesus perhaps was a real person. At least I know um, uh, my neighbours and mates from rugby, uh, they're kind of like, yep, Jesus was a real guy. And maybe he was an inspirational teacher or an inspiring leader um, whom the Romans killed, but kind of the idea that he rose from the dead is just kind of like, okay, we can put this in our logical minds, but that is just too far-fetched. It's kind of now you're talking fairy tales and fantasy. But for some reason, we think it was less far-fetched to them. Don't we? We live in a time place that thinks that back then, somehow, it was more believable for the disciples. That because they believed in kind of miracles or the supernatural, that they also would believe that someone could be raised from the dead. And yet... They don't celebrate when the tomb's empty. They don't jump for joy. They don't go, oh, of course. Instead, they're confused. It doesn't make sense to them. Why? Because it doesn't fit into their worldview at all. In fact, it's the furthest thing from their worldview. Uh, in uh, those times, you had the Greeks and Romans, and the Greeks and Romans thought that the ultimate goal was to escape the body, to kind of become spirit. And so the idea of someone being raised from the dead in a body was kind of, uh, kind of like a failure. It was like they haven't achieved their goal. 
you've got right close to the finish line and then kind of, for whatever reason, done a U-turn. And then you've got the Jewish people who either didn't believe in a resurrection or there were some Jewish people who thought there would be a resurrection at the very last day when all people would rise from the dead. But that would be an everyone thing. And the idea that somehow one individual would be raised now but everyone else would remain normal was just so far from their worldview and understanding. And so Mary comes to the disciples and she says, they've stolen the body. They've kind of taken him from the tomb. And so James and John, not James and John, Peter and John, run to the tomb. Verse 6, and Simon Peter came along behind him. He went straight into the tomb. That was actually Peter's bad. Culturally, you didn't do that back then. That's why John kind of, even though he's faster runner, gets to the door and kind of stays there, right? Peter, no, he's not for customs. He kind of runs straight in. And he saw the strips of linen lying there. As well as the cloth that had been separated from around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And if you look in verse 6, if you look in verse 6, where it says... Um, that he saw the strips of linen lying there. The, the usual Greek word that is used for looking, for seeing, um, blepo, uh, kind of if you think of a blip on a radar, that's kind of where we get that from. That's kind of the usual word that means to, to see and to look, and that's actually used in verse 3. But in verse 6, what's used is a different word. It is the word theoreto, where we get the word to theorize. You know, it's a scientific word that actually kind of means to look and to analyze, to see and observe and to kind of wrestle and to try to reason something through. And so Peter and John are here and they don't just see and believe, but they are trying to find an explanation. They're trying to get to the bottom of this. If it was the Romans, then they would never have let him be buried. If they wanted to kind of take the body and humiliate him further, they just wouldn't have buried him. And we would have heard about him just being kind of dragged around the city as a corpse. So it can't be that. But if it was grave robbers, why is the linen here? What grave robbers kind of come in and go, alright, let's undress the body because really it's the kind of the cadaver that we're after. Grave robbers would have, they're in a rush, right? You just take the whole thing. And in fact, most of the wealth was actually caught up in the linen. That it was the wrapping that was the kind of expensive thing. And so if they've left it here, that makes no sense. And and it can't be just that Jesus was kind of just injured and not really dead because, well, one, we saw him stabbed and pierced in the side and, and two, there was the stone rolled in the way and, and a single person can't just kind of roll that stone away. 
Do you hear their brains kind of ticking, trying to figure it out? What could be the conclusion? And the idea of the resurrection was just the furthest thing from plausible to them. And yet, and yet, despite their worldview, verse 8, he saw and believed that the impossible was actually the only explanation that was left to them. That it was the only thing that made sense. And kind of to stress it further, you get verse 9 where he says they they didn't even realise from the scriptures why Jesus had to rise from the dead. That it's not as if their theology or their philosophy kind of led them to something of a hallucination, acting out kind of a a wish fulfilment. They they didn't even realise through the Old Testament why this had to happen. And then it's not because of their theology, it's not because of their philosophy, it's not because of their worldview. In fact, it is despite all those things that they see, believe and conclude that he must have risen from the dead. And it is this truth that goes on to shape the entire world that we now live in. Imagine if this day had not occurred. What would be different in our world? Think how things would be different. Hospitals. Schools. The value of science and reasoning. All of these things birthed out of the church, which birthed out of the resurrection. None of these things we would have unless this day occurred. And all, it is this truth that, that the grave is empty, that he rose from the dead, which these fishermen, these tax collectors, these uh, tradesmen would go on to preach and preach and preach for the rest of their lives. James, executed by the sword. Thomas, Speed to death. Matthew, speed to death. These are friends that were there. Philip, tortured, crucified upside down. Bartholomew, skinned alive. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified. James, crucified. Thaddeus, crucified. Simon, crucified. John, lowered into burning oil. All of them crucified. Why? Because they said that Jesus had risen from the dead. All but one of the disciples go on to be martyred for this truth. Do you know what the Pascal, the um, philosopher and mathematician physicist said? He said, I believe the testimonies of the eyewitnesses that are willing to have their throats slit. And not just that, not just that, but in John's Gospel, 
all of the earliest writings acknowledge that the first and the primary witnesses were actually women to the resurrection. And you go, why is that an important fact? Well, women back then actually had, their testimony was not admissible in the court of law in that society. It such was the kind of patriarchy and, and the way that it was set up that, that women didn't have uh, a valid testimony in a court of law. And so if you were to come up, if you were to create a fictional story, the last people you would put as the first witnesses would be women. In fact, especially Mary Magdalene. Mary, actually, we if you read Luke 8, actually speaks about the fact that Jesus cast seven demons out of her, that there was a time where she would have been, if we kind of uh, likely in the prostitution ring and uh, caught up in what many people would kind of assess as kind of, um, uh, I, I guess, th- through the streets naked. And yet she's the first witness. And uh, both Christian and non-Christian historians um, write this. They say there must have been enormous pressure on the part of the gospel writers to leave these women out. That in the early church there must have been enormous pressure on the part of the gospel writers to leave these women out, and yet every single one of them leaves it in. As one writer put it, the only intellectual cre- intellectually credible reason why these women are in the account as the first and primary witnesses to the resurrection is that maybe, maybe they were. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's fine. But I think you need to come up with another reasonable explanation as to why these women are here. Why are these women here? And not just that, but what is it that caused this little group to explode and to transform the world like no other group has done? You need to come up with some form of explanation as to why hundreds of people would go on to say they actually saw him and spent the rest of their lives preaching it. When everything in their worldview told them that it couldn't be true. And yet, I think they had um, intellectual credibility. And here's why. They had the intellectual credibility that where their worldview didn't match up with the evidence in front of them, that the evidence would shape their worldview. And so, despite their worldview being to the contrary, the evidence was that Jesus had risen from the dead. And not only that, not only is the resurrection 
reasonable despite its impossibility. It is deeply relational. And I think we get that in the second part of our passage. In the second half, we get a closer look at Mary. And Mary, verse 11, stood outside the tomb crying, which at first isn't surprising, but kind of as I was writing this, I was like, why is Mary outside the tomb writing, uh, outside the tomb crying when Peter and John have already concluded that Jesus is risen from the dead? Like, didn't they tell her? Like, have they just, it's, worry, we've, we've already been told that in verse 10 that the boys have gone home. And have they just forgotten about Mary? And there, cause she's there crying, still waiting, still looking for the body of the crucified dead Jesus. She's still weeping and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. This she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me. Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And as the gardener of old says her name, she realises who he is. And she realises who he is. He says her name and she realises who he is. The one that first met her when she was ravaged by demons. A piece of property to the public. Mary. And so Mary grabs hold of Jesus so much so that he says, don't cling to me. I I imagine what's kind of going on is she's kind of like, I've lost you once, you're not going anywhere again. You know, like, parents, if you've ever lost your child, right, you find them and you're like, alright, you are holding my hand and I am not letting go, right? We are going to the car, you're grounded, you're never leaving the house again, right? That's what's going on. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm not actually here to stay. You will have to let go of me. Don't cling to me yet. In fact, now isn't the time for wonder and amazement. Now is the time 
to to send to give a message. Now's not the time for wonder and amazement. Now is the time to give a message to others. Don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. Verse 17, For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Tell my brothers. I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Notice the the beautiful kind of family-like language. That Jesus doesn't say, Mary, go tell those cowardly, wicked, spineless fishermen who once said that they were my friends. Right? Go tell my brothers. And not just my brothers, but go tell them that my father is their father. My God, their God. That go tell them that in the same way I relate to God, that the same way with which God relates to me, he now relates to them. The same way that I relate to my God, they can now relate to him. Uh, a couple of weeks now, Jacob had some friends over, and uh, he's uh, four, four and a half years old, almost five, and uh, Jacob's in a stage where he loves kind of playing games like spies and wrestling and tackling, all those kinds of things. And so it's a lot of fun for me. I actually really love kind of uh, tackling and wrestling and being all part of that. I think it gives me a real sense of power um, because there's few other situations where you're just kind of like, hey, I can push six people around or, you know, just... Gives you a little boost for the day. And so we're playing and it's great fun and, and they all go home. And, um, uh, Jacob though wants to keep playing. And cause Jacob's been playing with these kind of six, seven other boys and, uh, we've been, uh, playing these games. Jacob then comes up to me and he says, Jamie, can we keep playing? Cause that's what all the other kids have been doing, right? Jamie, come here. Jamie, do this. And he comes up. He's like, Jamie, can we keep playing Spies? And I'll tell you what. I never thought it would cut the legs out from me like it did. But I felt gutted. And I just had this moment where I was like, no, 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 no. I, you don't call me Jamie. You're grounded. <laughs> I, it's just like... You and only one other person in the whole world get to call me dad. That's what you call me. No one else gets to do that. Just you, just Archer. This is the privilege that we are given in the resurrection. When Michelle got up this morning and prayed, our Heavenly Father, our loving Father in Heaven, you realise that the Jewish people never got to pray that? You do. You know why? Because of the risen Jesus in the garden 
speaking to Mary. Tim Keller, who passed away yesterday, you know what he said? He said, the only person who gets to wake the president up at 2am and ask for a glass of water is their child. No one else gets that privilege, but we do. That we are invited in the resurrection to, to relate to God, to speak to God as that of Father and of Christ as brother. That in these final chapters of John, that the Son of God was treated as a criminal on the cross so that though we criminals, we might be called the sons of God. Not just pardoned, not just forgiven, but made part of the family. Let's pray. God our Father, Christ our brother, you finished it on the cross and you sealed it in the resurrection. You took our crimes on the cross and in the resurrection you handed us adoption to sonship. It is the least likely of things, the the most unreasonable thing in so many ways and yet the only logical conclusion that you rose from the dead and not just for our brains but the true hope of our hearts brought into a family. We ask that you might that you might help us to walk in that relationship that you have already promised and given us. And we pray this as your sons and daughters. Amen.